All right. Well, I'm super excited to be with you this morning. The sun is shining, and uh, it's an absolutely beautiful day. And we're continuing in our series called Deconstructed. Deconstructed. This morning's message title is actually Identity. Identity. And so we're going to be talking about identity in the context of Deconstructed. We're, uh, we're more than halfway through uh, a series called Deconstructed, as I already mentioned, but it is uh, encompassing chapter 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians, and so that's what the, the journey is going to be this morning, and uh, as we continue through chapter 12 specifically, I may make reference to someone by the name of Paul or the Apostle Paul. If that happens, if this is your first time with us this morning and you're not sure who I'm talking about, um, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as a letter in response to the church of Corinth that he helped establish. And so that's who I'm talking about if I say Paul. So we're going to jump in and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26 this morning. It will be projected uh, if you don't have a Bible or a way to follow along this morning, so you can feel free to read along with me as I go. Beginning at verse 12, it says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it le- that would not make it less any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am an eye, by the way, I am so fighting not doing voices for what I think an ear would sound like. But anyway, I, know, I, just, I need to say it because otherwise I'm going to slip there and I'm going to start talking like an ear and be like, that's not what your ear would sound like. So I don't know if it's ADD. I'm not sure. But if I say it, I won't be tempted anymore. I'm still kind of tempted. I feel like an ear might have a Scottish accent. Anyway, <laughs> I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, oh gosh, you need to pray for my wife. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Not again, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we just um, we open our hearts and minds that we would hear from you this morning. Lord, that uh, your presence would rest in this place, that you would uh, speak to us, that you would direct us. God, that this would be more than just a gathering this morning, but we would have an encounter with the living God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so growing up, I, uh, I had a uh, uh, 
we had like a garage next to our home and the garage next to our home, we decided to kind of turn into an apartment. And uh, now we, I wasn't part of the conversation. My parents decided to turn the garage into an apartment and uh, it ended up kind of being a little larger project than that. It actually turned into a small home. And so it was a one bedroom, uh, one bathroom home that we rented out on our property growing up. And so we had different people that would rent there at different times and phases and seasons of my life. Uh, but there was one in particular uh, person who I'm gonna share the story about today. Um, I could not get in touch with him, so I'm not gonna use his name because I haven't asked permission to share the story. So I won't use his name, so we'll just uh, refer to him in generalities. Uh, but. There was a group of us when I was in high school, because of the, the size of our property, we would mow about an acre to a little over an acre or so. And so this is, the size of our property was perfect to play uh, freeze tag. And so we would play it like into like 18, 19 years old because of the way we could hide on the property. And it was just fun. Like we'd hide on the roof and all that stuff. We'd jump off the house. It was crazy. Um, in either case, it was always an intense game. And um, this gentleman that lived in the apartment with his wife came out one night and said, hey, can I play with you guys? And we're like, yeah, well, it's, it's pretty intense, just so you know, we, you know, we play pretty intense, like some of the people will hide on roofs and we'll hide in different places and stuff. And he immediately uh, starts to say, no, 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 like I, I can hang with you guys. Like if you don't, like just because I'm a little bit older, I can still hang with you guys. We're like, all right, simmer down, tiger, you know? And you could see sort of the insecurity rising up in him, like, hey, you know, I might look older, but I'm still a teenager at heart. And uh, uh, we're like, all right, well, you can play if you want. We're just letting you know that it might get kind of intense because we're all like 16, 17, 18 years old and like we're going to run all out and it's going to get, no, I want to play. I want to play. All right. Okay. You can play. So I was like, here's the deal. I'll give you the, the rules. The boundaries are, and so I tell them the boundaries. There's a hedge on this side. Uh, the highway is the boundary on this side. And so I'm kind of going around and then I start to tell him the rules. He's like, Claude, I know how to play tag. And I'm like, yeah, I get that you know how to play tag. It's just there's certain things in, in the yard that you need to be aware of. He's like, I live here too. It's like, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, he's like, I got it. I got it. And so just reeking of insecurity with a, with a deep desire to belong, he's just insisting that he has it. And so I'm like, okay, you got it, Tiger Lily. Let's see this. And so we all break up and uh, we decide we're going to go ahead and hide. And the round begins and... It's kind of around dusk, so it's a little bit dark, and we would play right into the wee hours. It was pretty intense and fun. And so all of a sudden, uh, the moment happens that I feared is we decide, we clarify that where free is or where base is, where it is that you go to, is a huge oak tree in the far side of the property. Now, the reason we made it that way was because we had a dog, and the dog was on a run and so we had a, a run that ran across a majority of our property where it would narrow. And so it was kind of this way of sort of evening the odds that if somebody was all out sprinting, they would either have to duck down to run underneath this wire or they would have to slow down and dip down. So it just added another layer of intensity. We had people that would dive, roll, like you name it because there was the wire. But I almost said his name. This dude didn't need to know the lay of the land. He lives here too. 
So the moment is coming, and some of you know exactly what's about to happen. This dude comes out like trying to prove everything, like he's as young as us. And so he's all out running as hard as he can, and we're screaming because it went from like, this is going to be funny to, oh, dear God, he's going to decapitate himself. And so we're like, slow down, slow down. He's like, I'm going to get there first. We're like, you're going to die. And so like a cartoon, he takes this wire, thankfully, right across his shoulders, not higher, and this, the way that a run works, if you have a dog, at, at the far ends, there's kind of like this, this retractable sort of spring that gives a little bit, you know, so the dog doesn't kind of choke himself, or this guy doesn't, and so <laughs> as he's running, he literally, his feet literally come up off the ground, this wire goes out, and it's not going anywhere, it's attached to two trees. And so it goes up in the air, his feet come out, and all of a sudden he flies back and boom, on the ground, like thud, falls like a dead man. And so we run over, we're like, are you all right? Are you all right? He's like, you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? And then he also hit his tailbone. So he's doing that weird, like, you know, where he's kind of grabbing his bottom and he's like scooching. He's like, and so you're like not wanting to laugh, but you're like, this is hysterical. And so you're like, are you okay? You know, and everybody's kind of, and like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm like, dude, just stay there. Just stay down. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just help me up. Just help me up. So we like lift him up and he's kind of like, you know, doing one of those little kind of standard thing. And he pulls up his sleeve and you can see already like this red, deep red line across his arm stuff. I'm like, dude, you should probably sit down. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, you're out. He's <laughs> like, just so you know, I, I officially got you. Um, and I don't know why I felt the need to do that, but I did. And, uh, and so he kind of laughs. I was like, dude, are you sure you don't want to sit down? He's like, well, maybe I'll just, I think I got to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to go in and we'll see. And he never came back out. And, um, it was one of those moments where like the next time I saw him, he didn't make eye contact. And it's amazing how our insecurities uh, cause us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. We kind of cover our ears. We blind our eyes. We just go head in because after all, we belong here, right? We belong. And so we're going to act and play the part. And so the question I want you to consider this morning is how does insecurity inform the part we play? How does insecurity form the part we play. Now, admittedly, this question has an assumption in it. Uh, the assumption is that you are aware of your tendency towards insecurity. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that the assumption is that we have been insecure at some point. Because the fact of the matter is, we are. Every single person in this room, at some point or a not, have been insecure. Every human being, whether you're a Christian or not, and I know that there's a full gamut of people in the room, some that would say that they're committed Christ followers and some people that are skeptics and aren't even sure that there is a God and everyone in between. And so regardless of where you fall on that scale of Christianity or uh, awareness of who God is, at some point in your life, you've been insecure. It's just a matter of whether or not you're aware of it. Insecurity is a human condition. It's not for some of us and above others. 
The question is, how does insecurity inform the part we play? I want to submit to you that there's actually, uh, there's actually two, question, uh, two answers to this question. Insecurity causes us to either underfunction or to overfunction. Think about that for a second. Insecurity, and every single one of us have been insecure at some point in our life, it either causes us to underfunction or it causes us to overfunction. We either disengage and we kind of uh, out ourselves before others can say anything. You know, like, well, I'm, I'm terrible at this. I probably, and we push away from the table because of the insecurity that we have. If we just declare what it is that we know our struggle is, then maybe it won't be so apparent to everyone else. For some of us, we overfunction, hoping that our activity or our perceived busyness distracts or masks our insecurity. We want to belong. We want to fit in. I get it. I know. I know. I belong here. I'm old enough to play this game. I mean, I'm young enough to play this game. (laughs) You see, neither response leads to life to the fullest. And it's the same tension felt by the church of Corinth, which Paul is addressing right here in chapter 12. Verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You see, when we see the word member, when we kind of hear this idea, this concept of member, it gives us the wrong idea. It thinks like, uh, like we are part of a club, you know, like I'm a member of a club. I'm a, I'm a member of an exclusive group that, that gets special pricing at large grocery stores or uh, discounts, quote unquote, At gas stations, that always cracks me up. Like, listen, if you can give a break, give it to everybody. (laughs) But the word that Paul is using here, this word for member in the original Greek actually indicates something much deeper than simply belonging. It's not that you simply belong, it's that you're actually interconnected. And as such, you're interdependent. That literally to be part of the body of Christ is to be interdependent interdependent. In fact, equally important. You see, because to be missing part is to no longer be whole. To be missing part of your body is to no longer be whole. And so therefore, each part is important. Each part is important. You see, the church of Corinth was struggling to process how the centrality of the gospel should inform their everyday. They wanted to live uh, a churchy version of their current life. So I, I want to keep living the life I live. I just want to kind of add church to it a little bit. I, I, I want the, the center of my life and the focus of my life to remain the same. I just want to also attend church. I want to add a sliver to the pie of my life. They want to remain immersed in the culture. But the truth is, when you deconstruct a life that lives that way, one of the pieces or outflow, is insecurity. You see, if, if you're living the center of your life and you're just kind of putting a sliver of Christianity into the midst of it, then you're still falling victim to the human condition of the reality that I want to belong, I want to fit in, it makes sense for me to be here. There's a, a rather famous Egyptian uh, named Aesop. And if you've done any uh, reading, you've heard of Aesop's fables. 
and Aesop's fable, one of them uh, in particular, is this, uh, this fable of a belly that is arguing with its feet. I wonder what their voices sound like. But anyway, like, hello, belly. Sorry, I had to do something. I don't know why. I don't know what my problem is. Um, but in either case, there's a belly arguing with their feet in Aesop's fable. And the belly is, um, is saying that it's more important than the feet, and the feet are saying, no, I'm more important than you. And the feet make the argument in this fable that uh, without feet, the belly would not have the ability to move anywhere it would want to go. And so the feet are making the argument that they're far more important than the belly. And so the belly says to the feet, maybe I don't want to go anywhere, but the fact is, if I wasn't providing you nutrients, you would die. And so it became this fable that actually infiltrated uh, the Greek culture, the Roman culture of the day, and it actually became didactic. It became a training part. It became teaching within that culture where they would actually communicate to the, the soldiers and to the people being trained that uh, the general is the belly and the soldiers are the feet. And so fill your role. Because feet, you get us where we're going, but if we want to remain, the fact is we provide you life. And so it instilled this hierarchy concept in the then Roman culture. And it's actually infiltrated into the church. In fact, it's infiltrated even into our society today. In fact, it's why we have titles like the head of state. That's why. The head of state, the most important, prominent part of the state is the head of the state. And it's why we call soldiers that come into the infantry, we call them foot soldiers. Foot soldiers. Because of Aesop's fable. It goes all the way back to some of the earliest uh, gathering of military militia is this language that infiltrates even our society today. It had impact in the culture of the church of Corinth because they're approaching Christendom in a very similar way and saying, listen, there's a hierarchy of importance here. There's a hierarchy to the way this church should function. And the result was division. It was division within the church of Corinth because of their insecurity. Some were disengaging from the role that God had gifted them to play, saying that's beneath me. I'm too important in the social strata of society to do a meager task like that. I'm out. I'm not interested. I'm too insecure to function in the role that God has given me. Others were over-functioning, and they were kind of super-spiritualizing. So we see this out of balance in the church of Corinth, and Paul talks about it in the, in the chapters ahead that we'll get to. But we see this over-functioning and super-spiritualizing of their lives. Why? To mask their insecurity. If I just look the part, if I just look more spiritual, then certainly people will say, you belong here. Listen, we're thoroughly impressed. And so there's this root issue. You see, at face value, Paul is addressing with illustration on some level the body and the way that it functions. But on a much deeper level, he's addressing this root human issue of insecurity and how it infiltrates every aspect. In Corinth, where individualism and self was most important, it mattered most. Sounds a lot like America today, right? So in this society where it's all about you and self and what you can make of yourself, they're being told that the part of the beauty of the gospel is that we're interdependent. That it's really not that impressive 
to be an individual, that, that the fulfillment of life doesn't come in the pursuit for self, but that in reality there's this interdependency, that, that the truth of the gospel says we have equal value and equal importance, and it runs right into society. It runs contrary to everything that the Corinthian culture is saying. It runs contrary to everything that the American culture is saying to us today. And so verse 14 says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Seems kind of easy, right? Kind of straightforward. But what Paul's saying here is, listen, it's not about you. We function better together. Better together. Listen, the biggest lie you can ever believe is that you're alone. I think it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy. And I'm not one to like super spiritualize things and be like, ooh, the devil's around every corner. He's coming for you. I'm talking about the reality that there are powers of the air, that there is spiritual dynamic. And that in the midst of a spiritual dynamic, it would be the enemy that would try to isolate. Because it's in isolation that lies can take root. It's when others that are saying, hey, wait a second, you're believing a lie. I am? Yeah, what's the truth? It's this. You see, others speak truth to us. Others help bear our burdens. It's in isolation that, that we fall victim to the lies of either our own humanity or the lies of the enemy himself, that we're unworthy, that we're alone, that we're broken, that we're not valuable, that we don't play the role we think we should play. If we continue on with what Paul is articulating, you could take part of your body you take my hand off, my body will continue to function, but my hand will wither and rot. It will die because it's been separated from the body. But it doesn't simply end there. It's not like, ah, oh, too bad for the hand. The reality is your body feels the pain of that loss. Interdependency, this connection. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect argument for why when some people say, well, listen, all I need is Jesus. I don't really need to be connected to a church. Really? Scripture runs con completely contrary to that statement. You need the church. Not because we're needy. That runs against our American culture, right? Like, well, I don't want to be needy. I'm not a needy person. I'm an independent person. I can make it in this world today. Yeah, you can. It's going to be very difficult and you'll feel very isolated. You'll fall victim to lies and the struggle will be real. Wouldn't you rather be a part of a body that's coming alongside you, that's speaking truth, that's bearing the burden with you? You see, it's not simply separated body parts that feel the pain. It's the body as a whole that feels the pain of that loss. Verse 26 of the section of text, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This connection. So if we stop here, we're kind of left believing that the goal is wholeness. Like, listen, you just need to belong. If you just belong anywhere, then you'll be whole and the place that you belong will be whole and that everyone will win. But to what end? For the simple ability to state that you attend a church? That you're connected? Paul isn't simply illustrating how a church should organizationally function. But to show that the church in its wholeness 
is the way Christ reveals himself on earth. Listen to that. It's not just that you come alive within the context of the church body. It's that the world sees the wholeness of the church and Christ is revealed. These gifts given and empowered by God, distributed by God. We talked about the specific text that said that last week. Literally distributed by God and then empowered, caused to function by God are for the purpose of fulfilling the mission of revealing Christ. It's for the purpose of revealing Jesus. It's not about organized religion or establishing an institution. Quite honestly, I can't stand when churches become institutionalized. It's not about establishing an institution or about organized religion and the idea of contributing to this this body of people that, that move forward like some monstrosity. It's about cultivating a movement in which people become gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. It's about coming together and saying we can find purpose and belonging in Christ and as a result, we can reveal Christ to the world around us. Listen, if it's about you, if at the end of the day, life is about you, then you'll forever be locked up by insecurity. But if it's about the mission of God, then you can have confidence because your identity is child of God. You see, it's, it's a paradigm shift of everything that, that we're taught, everything that we learn, everything that's inherently in us as human beings that says, listen, this is about self. It's about me moving forward. It's about me getting what I can get out of this life. But the struggle of that is insecurity in almost every environment we walk into. I have to prove myself or I have to disengage. I have to work really hard to trick people that I belong or I'll just silently play along. It's painful and you will get burned. Maybe some of you have marks from that insecurity. Hopefully they're not welts across your shoulders and chest but you have marks in your heart, in your identity, in your self-worth, because somewhere along the way you decided to die a little bit to yourself for the purpose of trying to belong and fit in. It's exhausting. But if it's about the mission of God, then you can have confidence because your identity is child of God. A life that's lived to the fullest, when it's deconstructed with Jesus at the center. When Jesus is at the center of your life and and Jesus isn't a sliver that is one of the many things that you do throughout a given week, but Jesus himself is at the center, then one of the pieces or the outflow of Jesus in the center of your life is true identity. And when your identity is no longer up for grabs, insecurity disappears. So you can try to fight against insecurity, insist that it doesn't belong, be unaware of the fact that your default is to feel a little insecure in certain situations. But if you want to resolve the human condition, 
It's rooting your identity as child of God. And when your insecurity disappears, you live with purpose. You live with purpose because the word of God says that that he knit you together in your mother's womb. That he knew you. That he has a plan for you. That you have a purpose with your one and only life. It frustrates me so much to see people just moving through life thinking that, that this life is just about the next day. That promotion. The newest whatever. The gathering of stuff. The sense of belonging. If that's the emptiness of life, you're going to continually feel empty and you're going to need to continue to fill that void. But when you come to a place to realize that your identity is child of the living God and that he gifted you for the purpose of revealing who he is to the world around us, it changes your whole dynamic. It changes your perception and your perspective. Because now the gifts that you have been given aren't for your own benefit for the benefit of the whole, and furthermore, the benefit of those outside these walls. We'll often say when we come together here that the text requires something of us. And I have a strong conviction to that end. I think too often we come to places where we read scripture and maybe we feel a little bad or we feel a little good and and we leave and we say, we'll see you next week. But there has to be an application There's got to be some handles on this. And so what is your application today? How does your world change as a result of coming face to face with the text that the Lord revealed this morning? It requires something from us. In fact, one of our because and therefores that will be projected, who we are as a church, is collaboration. Because he uniquely created us, We value collaboration. Therefore, we enjoy how God has wired and gifted each person and take more ground as a result. We partner with like-minded individuals and organizations to advance God's kingdom. It's part of who we are. It's part of who Centerway is at the end of the day. It's about linking hands. It's about functioning in collaboration. It's about realizing that you bring something to the table that we and of ourselves don't and that we function best as a body. And so the application, the question I want you to leave this place thinking, considering, and maybe having conversation with or journaling about individually is this. What is stopping me from being more connected to this body? What is stopping me from being more connected to this body? There's so many variations to the answer to this question and we toiled a little bit about how it could be asked because the reality is it could be really easy to say nothing or it could be really easy to say, I'm busy. That's what's stopping me. I'm too busy. So the question is asked this way to cause you to reflect on what the priorities of your life are. If the answer is I'm too busy, then I would say, then what are you living your life for? If God's wired you and connected you to fully function the way that he has wired you to contribute and to lean into the fullness of the advancement of the gospel, then what could be more important than that? 
In fact, I would say that if you're too busy to lean into the advancement, then maybe it's just that you don't believe in the vision of Centerway, and that's okay. But I would encourage you, find a church where you do believe in the vision so you can roll up your sleeves and lean in and say, I'm a part of this body. Because we believe that, that we've been called to do something in this and surrounding communities and the region and beyond to do something that, that's going to involve God risks and the ability for every person in the room to put their hand in the center and say, I'm going to give everything that I have to the fulfillment of what it is that God wants in this region for his glory. Now hear this. One of the things that we say often is we get to do this. I think all too often in church environments, we're, uh, we're put in, in moments of obligatory involvement. You know, hey, we need help. Isn't that inspiring? <laughs> we need help. Sign on the dotted line now. <laughs> That's not what's happening. I don't think we need help. This is what I think. I think God has given us the people that we need and he's wired them uniquely. And what we need is for you to do what it is that you love to do. Because when you do what you love to do, we all win. When you're contributing the way God wired you and you say, I can't believe I get to do this. We all win. I said this at the conclusion of last week after um, the, uh, the response time and so it didn't make it on the podcast. So I wanna say it for those that are listening on podcast. We don't want to, uh, oftentimes when you hear messages like this, people are trying to convince you to work with kids, you know? So what we need is we need help with your children. Oh, please, God, don't you love Jesus? You're part of the body, you know? This guilt trip of obligation. That's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing at all. Because here's the deal. Your kids love our children's ministry. They love our children's ministry down there. Centerway kids They love it. Why? Because we have people down there that love kids and love working there. We don't want people down there that are like, I hate this. I'm obligated. And the kids are like, we kind of hate this now too, because it's clear that you're obligated. We all lose when you're not in the right place, right? You can think of the adverse, it becomes true. So the same way that we benefit when you're in the right place, we lose when you're in the wrong. And so we don't want you to serve out of need. We want you to realize what it is that God has gifted you and wired you to do. And we want to provide opportunity for you to come alive in that so that every day you say, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. That's living life to the fullest. That's that's Christ in the center saying, I wired you a specific way and so run with it. And that's what we're about here. It's not about obligation. So it will be a waste of time to say, well, where do you need me? I'll say, Where do you want to be? I don't know. Where do you need me? I don't know. Where do you want me to be? It's because our society has wired us that way. Some of you feel the tension right now, but like, I just want to help. I just don't know where. Like, where do you need help? I want you to reflect on the way that it is that God's wired you. We're going to have more conversation about that in the days ahead. But as we process this this morning, I want you to consider what your next step might be. For some of you, it might be to cross the line of faith. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And so to say that you're connected to a body, you're like, I'm I'm not sure I've even walked through the door of the beginning of that conversation. And so if you're here this morning and you want to make that decision, it's as simple as praying a prayer in your seat right now. Acknowledging the fact that Christ laid down his life 
that he paid the price. He lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserve, that I deserve. And so it's as simple as saying, Lord, would you forgive me my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And if you make that decision this morning, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about what your next steps will be. But for others of you this morning, you say, listen, I've crossed that line of faith. I've made that decision. And so for you, maybe the next step is to risk serving. To say, hey, I want to put my hand in the circle. And so we have serve opportunities. I'm going to talk more about that at the end. We have serve opportunities that you can get in next week. You can serve right away. It won't involve minors. So if you're like, what? Somebody can work with my kids next week? No. That's more of a process. But there are opportunities for you to jump in and to say, I want to connect here right away. For others of you this morning, you say, listen, I've, I've crossed that line of faith and I'm, I'm serving on some capacity and there are several in the room that, that do. For you this morning, I would ask, how is it that you're representing Christ outside these walls? What is the mission of God? How is it evident in your everyday? You've been equipped today with an Easter invite. Maybe it's as simple as inviting someone that you've had conversations with to hand them that invitation, or maybe it's to share the social media um, post that we'll put out and to just share it and and to communicate to your friends on social media that you're going to be present. What does it look like for you to start to, to reveal to your friends and family and loved ones about the, the robustness of the truth of the gospel and how it transforms every aspect of not only your life, but the potential to change theirs, that they don't have to be trapped in the insecurity, but they can have confidence in who God's wired them to be. I don't know what your application is this morning, but I know this, the text requires something from every single person in the room. And if you sit there and say, no, I'm doing all that. And the text requires you to lay down your spiritual pride and acknowledge the fact that you're not a completed work because that's a form of insecurity. Say, no, I got it all together. It's amazing how that works. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. And if you get easily distracted, you can keep your eyes open and just look at the floor. The reason I want you to do that is I just want to provide space for you to consider what it is that the Lord may be asking you to do, what application looks like for you. And so, with your head bowed, I just want you to maybe consider that it looks like deciding that you'll make yourself available to to risk and, and serve in an area, to just try it, no strings attached. Maybe it looks like crossing that line of faith and saying, God, if, if you're real, I need you in my life. We're going to go into a time of worship this morning where we're going to sing songs and declare things. We want to provide it as a response to allow the Lord to continue what it is that he's doing in and through our lives even now. So as we provide this, this space, if, if you want, you can feel free to stand and sing along if you'd like to sit and allow um, the Lord to continue to do some work in your heart and mind. And you can feel free to do that as well. But we want you to leave this place having had an encounter with God and being challenged 
being challenged to consider how it is that you fit in this body for God's glory and your joy. God's glory and your joy.